Thank you, my literal brother, Matt. Appreciate that for the warm introduction. Tons of details for Feed the Need. That's going to be awesome. We're excited about that. Dude, nice crew, nice crew today, right? July 4th weekend? Unbelievable. I thought it was going to be just me and, me and a few people. So thanks for coming. You guys are, you guys are committed, apparently. Committed to the staycation. Uh, so that's great. Hey, this week is our last week in Proverbs. We've been doing a series, walking through a bunch of different topics in Proverbs. Um, and the topic I picked, as Matt Baldwin mentioned in the announcements, is something I'm very familiar with. Uh, failure. Right? I was thinking, I've been preparing for this sermon my whole life, I think. That's better. Uh, and you could say that failure is my life's work. <laughs> uh, so... I believe that there's wisdom in failure, right? I think, I think uh, good can come from our failure, uh, but I don't want to sugarcoat it, right? Failure sucks. Failure's devastating. Failure can, failure can break people. It does break people, uh, especially in, in our world um, where we, we live on pride uh, and arrogance. Uh, this guy, Ray Ortland, I read, said, our fraudulent world runs on swagger. Uh, isn't that the truth, man? Like, uh, we avoid failure like the plague. Uh, we, we ignore it. We try to blame it on other people in our lives, um, or we try to cover it up. And this has been happening since the beginning, like Genesis 3 beginning. Uh, we saw Adam and Eve uh, in the garden. God gives them one, one thing. Don't eat of the fruit of this one tree. Uh, and they fail. At that, they decide they know better than God, uh, and so they run off, hide in the bushes, and they make some garments made of fig leaves to, you know, cover themselves up, cover their nakedness and their shame. Uh, and then we see that God comes onto the scene, and what does He say? He shows up and says, "You guys look ridiculous. One stiff breeze, and those garments are gone. Right? Leaves? That's not going to work." No, that's, that's not what he says. Uh, he calls them out and says, what did you do? Did, did you eat from that one tree? Did you do the very thing I told you not to do? And they kind of confess, right? They say, yes, but, you know, the coward Adam blames it on his wife. Yes, but she made me do it. And, and Eve uh, blames it on his, on her, excuse me, Eve blames it on her uh, friend, the serpent, I guess. So... We see failure from the very beginning. Uh, we, we see that man tries to cover up their failure, and it looks ridiculous. And then what do we see before God kicks them out of the garden? He puts on a better covering for them. He makes them clothes out of animal skins and, and sends them on their way. So man's attempt to cover up our nakedness is pathetic and ridiculous. God's way is much better and, and will work out much better for us. Um, so this happens still today. Obviously, this has happened in my life. My life follows a, a similar path um, of trying to cover up my own failure. Post high school, uh, I, I think you could categorize my life in, in two, different, two different ways. The, the first few years was failure. We'll call that just, just straight up failure. Uh, and the second was uh, like fear of failure, right? M my attempt to cover up my failure because I was, I was scared of failure. I didn't want to fail again. Uh, so, so, so that first part, that failure, 
um, this was probably five or six years of my life after, after high school, and, and it was as if I thought of every, when I made a decision, I would think, what's the right thing to do here, right? What, what should I do? And then I'll do the exact opposite. Uh, what, what's, the, what's the intelligent decision to be made? And then I'll do the exact opposite. It, it was ridiculous. I made, I made all kinds of dumb decisions uh, from about 18 years old to about 23 or 24 years old. Uh, and 1998 was especially painful for me. Uh, I, I won't go into detail, but uh, I got a DUI that year, uh, and I failed a drug test and lost a job that my brother Dave, not Matt, that my brother Dave had so nicely gotten for me at the Creekside Golf Course scrubbing, you know, golf clubs. It wasn't a great job, but I mean, it was probably a blessing, right? <laughs> God works through failure. That's the, that's the point. Um, actually, what's funny is that that's the reason I ended up going to school was because I had another job lined up and, and I, I couldn't go to that job because of this DUI because I lost my license. And anyways, my, my life took a much better path since then, but it took me, uh, it took me a while to, to figure that out. So that first part is failure, and then I became dissatisfied with my failure, right? I became disgusted with it. Like, God, I used to say, I decided to make better choices. I decided to do things differently. But it's clear now, God helped me. God made me dissatisfied with these dumb decisions that I made, with this stupid logic that I had going on. So that I became disgusted with my failure, and so I decided I'm not going to fail anymore. I'm going to make all the right decisions, right? I, instead of doing the opposite of what I should do, I'm going to do, I'm going to do what I should do, right? So, so it worked for, for a little while. I had what I thought was some success doing this. Uh, stopped getting wasted, uh, moved out of the, the house I was in that was, that was no good with the, some old buddies of mine, stopped hanging out with these old buddies, uh, moved in with some Christian, some Christian fellas, started going to church, uh, got involved, read my Bible, right? Just, try, just tried to clean myself up, you know, like, like we do sometimes. Uh, essentially, I was trying to be the hero of my life. I'm going to make, I used to make all the bad decisions. I'm going to make all the right decisions. So that, so that went along for a little while. I got married to Holly. Uh, so I was obviously doing something right. I found a nice, nice, cute girl to marry. Uh, and so that was great, and then we had a baby, um, and babies, newborns, especially for me, are tough. I think they're tough for all guys, right? From zero to six months, it's, uh, it's brutal, man. There's not much that I can do to help any situation. I'm just stuck listening to babies cry, and I'm just kind of in the way it felt like. I actually nicknamed my newborns now. We're about to have another one. Holly's due in a week and a half. Um, but I, I nickname them my child. <laughs> it's half trial, half child. This is my new child, Lucy. <laughs> uh, so I'm feeling the pressure, back to my life. I'm feeling the pressure of a new marriage. I'm feeling the pressure of a new baby and the stress. And then the cherry on top was, this is, I think, 2011. The stock market drops 20%. Uh, my business that I'm in, I, I manage money for people. So my business is based on the stock market. I've got clients who are getting nervous and getting upset because their accounts, they didn't drop as much as the market, but they were down. 
And so I'm, I'm, starting, to, I'm starting to freak out a little bit. I'm, I'm trying to make good decisions, and I'm trying to keep from failing, right? I'm trying to be the hero. I'm trying to keep it all together, be all things to all people. Uh, but I was starting to bust at the seams a little bit, coming unglued. I was, I was stressed out. I was, I was freaked out by some of the stuff. New baby, new wife. Like, what happens if my business fails? What happens to the family? How do I provide for my family? Like, I would just escalate my, my thoughts. I ended up, Matt uh, pointed me in the direction of a counselor, went and saw some guys, started talking to him. That was super helpful, a good biblical uh, counselor, really wise guy. But do you know what got me through that? Like this, this anxiety and this fear and this, this stress, do you know what actually sealed the deal and, and got me through it? It was that I didn't have to be scared of failure. I, I didn't have to be... Uh, Scared that I was going to fail God or, or fail Holly or, or fail my clients or something because I was already a failure. I'm not a hero. I can't keep everything together. I'm a failure. Isn't that great? I'm a failure. I mean, I can drop the act. I don't have to hold it all together. I can, I can settle into my role as the weak, needy, humble sinner and failure. This was huge for me. I, I got to tell you, like, I, knowing that I'm a failure and I need Jesus to save me was such a big deal. It was like this light bulb that went on and, and my world changed because of that. Not overnight. It took time to, to, come, uh, to come to this conclusion to be led down this path, but... Um, it's a big deal. And so this is what I want to talk about. Okay, I want, to, I, want to, I want to start with Proverbs 28, 13. Okay, uh, let's, let's read that. This is, so my thesis or whatever, my, my summary here is don't try to cover your failure. You look ridiculous when you do that, before God at least. Find your failure, own your failure, let God cover it. All right, it's a much better plan. So when I say find your failure and own your failure, I'm referring to a couple things uh, from Proverbs 28, 13. Whoever conceals, which is also translated into covers, whoever covers his transgressions, which is our rebellion before God, it's, it's translated sin, I'm gonna call it failure, okay, because that's what it felt like to me. Whoever covers his failure will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them Whoever takes responsibility for those failures, whoever owns those, is what we'll call it, will obtain mercy. Okay? If we do those things, if we stop trying to cover our failure, we find our failure, we own it, and we let God cover it up, you're going to see that there is wisdom through failure. There is wisdom in failure. Okay? And I'm going to try to break this down for us quickly in, in three points. Uh, it, it, failure prevents something, failure produces something, and failure, wait for it, <laughs> prepares us for someone. That was good. That was for extra effect. I didn't, it's not like I forgot that. <laughs> prepares us for someone. I wonder who that is, right? Like, just stay tuned. I'll, I'll tell you who that is in just a little bit. Uh, Let's start with prevents. What does failure prevent us from? Failure prevents us from becoming the hero. Talked a little bit about trying to be the hero of my own life and how that was a miserable failure. 
So the CEO of Intel, I read, uh, said recently that leaders fail because they try to do too much and they try to be the hero. This oftentimes comes, I think, after success, right? Somebody or a leader uh, will lose their grasp on reality. They think that everything they touch is going to turn to gold. They don't take others' um, wisdom into consideration or others' advice into consideration, uh, at least in business, right? They might borrow too much money, invest in areas that they have no, no business investing in, uh, and subsequently their efforts fail. I was trying to look at some, some great examples of some failures in corporate America uh, at, at this, and as you can imagine, uh, I had a hard time wading through all of the examples, right? There's, it's endless uh, wh where we see this. Uh, I stumbled on a, an interesting one, though. Uh, Intel's bad decisions, where Intel, it looks like someone was, was trying to be the hero and investing in areas that they didn't have any business investing in. Uh, and I wonder if Intel learned this, if this CEO, who's no longer there, by the way, um, wonder if he had to learn this lesson the hard way, right, by, by actually failing. Um, they bought McAfee, the antivirus software, in 2010. And they paid $7 billion for that. I think it was their biggest acquisition at the time. It might still be. Um, but that turned out to be a bust. Uh, and I don't know if you follow the news, but John McAfee turned out to be a bust, too. <laughs> They made a dateline about this guy because of, I don't know, some shenanigans that he was in. There was a murder involved, and he was in Belize, and he was running from the law, and they were trying to extradite him. Anyways, that, John McAfee didn't work out real well. Neither did Intel's investment of, of McAfee antivirus software. So my favorite misstep in corporate America, though, is not the biggest, uh, but it was the most interesting to me. It was News Corp's which is, a, which is a, a company that you might have heard of, or you might have heard of the CEO, Rupert Murdoch. He's uh, not known for his humility. He made the savvy decision to pick up this great social media company a few years ago. I don't know, I don't know if you remember it. This is 2005, it was a while ago. But he bought, I mean, he got a smoking deal. $580 million for this company called MySpace. Man, what a... What a deal, right? Uh, seven years later, they sold MySpace for $35 million, which seems too high still, but so 580 down to 35. I think that's a 94%. I'm trying to remember. I, I, I did it on my calculator last night. I think that's a 94% loss, not including the money that they spent over the seven years probably trying to keep that. Uh, that company alive. That one had to sting a little bit. Uh, and, and I think we can attribute that, at least in part, uh, to Rupert Murdoch, maybe trying to be the hero, trying to get involved in, in an area that he didn't have any business being involved in. So enough about corporate America and business. That Obviously, this doesn't apply just to business and, and companies. This uh, applies to the church too. We're definitely not immune to this concept of trying to be the hero. A lot of times we open our Bible and, and uh, we read and we view the people in the Bible as heroes that we're supposed to be like, right? When a more accurate description of the, of the people in the Bible might be failures that God uses regardless of their failure. Uh, I don't know if anyone's heard of Jefferson Bethke, but he wrote a book a couple years ago uh, called Jesus is Greater Than Religion. 
pretty, pretty sweet book. I, I recommend you, you read it. And I think he wrote it when he was 25. The guy's super talented, really articulate. Says it like it is. But he says, uh, in Sunday school, he was taught, uh, you know, about all the Bible heroes. And, uh, you know, he, he remembers David and Goliath on the flannel graph or whatever. And the, uh, the message was, if you just have enough faith as David, you can conquer any giant. Okay? So a few years later, he's got a giant to conquer. I think he was struggling with porn. He talks about it in the book. Uh, and so he's like, all right, here we go. Uh, and he tries to muster up as much faith as he can because this is, what, this is what he thought he was supposed to do, just like David. And he takes a swing at the giant, right? Mm. And he knocks the giant down. And it worked. He didn't look at porn for a whole day. <laughs> and then he was starting to feel real good about himself. He didn't look at porn for a whole week. And so he says... He's feeling really good, so he walks over to the giant to check the pulse of the giant. The giant jumps up and kicks the crap out of him. <laughs> like, and, he's, and he's frustrated, going, I thought that this is what I was supposed to do. I thought I was supposed to be the hero here. I was supposed to knock down these giants. And it wasn't until he figured out there's a third character in that story that we don't usually spend a lot of time on. Anybody remember who that third character is? The Jews. The, more appropriately, the sad, the needy, the failures, the Jews who were sitting on the sidelines who needed desperately someone to come and save them, somebody to come and defend them from, from the giant that was too hairy and too scary for them. That's who we are. We're the Jewish people standing on the sidelines, and we need a hero like David. And David is not pointing to us. David is pointing to Jesus. Jesus is the hero that can come and conquer those giants in our life. He's the only one that can do it, and if we try to do it, we're just going to fail. It's just going to be miserable failures. So finding, owning your failure will prevent you from being the hero, and it will produce humility. That's the second point, producing humility. Before we talk about humility, let me talk about pride. It's usually good to talk about the opposite to give us an idea of what humility is. Let's throw up those verses, Matt, if you can, that, that next block. Uh, let's read what Proverbs has to, to tell us about pride, kind of explains a little bit about it. I'll just start. There we go. There are those who are clean in their own eyes, but are not washed of their filth. That's Proverbs 30, 12. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. That's Proverbs 16, 2. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. And how does God feel about it? He tells us outside of Proverbs, he who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. C.J. Mahaney, another wise Bible guy, uh, wrote a book called Humility. Uh, and he says, pride is our greatest enemy because pride is at the root of our rebellion or our failure uh, before God. Pride is being too arrogant to hear from others, especially God. And this is what led to the original sin with Adam and Eve. They thought they knew better than God. That, that's arrogance. That's pride. And this plagues me too. Okay, this is, this is an issue that, that I struggle with. This is an issue that a, lot of us, that a lot of us struggle with. Too enamored with our own ideas and, and too, 
I don't know, too confident in, in our own success. God can't stand that, all right? He, he, he hates that. And if you think about it, we hate that too. All you got to do is think about uh, the last time you were at a party or in a group, and the one-upping me monster was there. You guys know the type? Right? This is the guy, uh, Brian Regan, does a, he's a comedian, does this sweet bit. This is actually something you need to YouTube. Me Monster is if you, after the service. Uh, if you do it now, we need to put it up so we can all watch it. <laughs> it's actually not a bad idea. That would, be, that would actually be fun. Can you do that? Can you put comedians up in the middle of a sermon? So he says, you know, this is his reenactment is me, me, me. You know, I just love talking about me, myself, I. This doesn't have any bearing on the, on the sermon, but he talks about <laughs> this story where he's at a dinner party. I, he, I don't know if he made it up or what, but it's super funny. Uh, he says he was at a dinner party with a me monster, and the me monster starts talking, you know, about himself. And he's like, I'm not just going to sit here and let this guy talk about himself. I'm going to tell a story. So he tells this quick story, and uh, he gets to the end, and what does the me monster say? Oh, yeah? That ain't nothing. <laughs> and he's like, oh, well, excuse me for wasting everyone's time with my story about nothing. <laughs> and then he goes, and he, he takes responsibility, and he says, you know what, though? It's my own fault. Never tell a two-wisdom-tooth story. Never tell a two-wisdom-tooth story. Because as soon as you start telling the two wisdom tooth story, the one-upping me monster with the four wisdom tooth story is going to parachute in. He's going to steal your thunder. Oh, you had two wisdom teeth? I had four. Uh-huh. Oh, yours were impacted? Yeah, mine were upside down, impacted, and the roots were all around my tongue. They had to use pliers, and they couldn't use the anesthesia. I was eating corn on the cob but later that night. <laughs> like, you could tell us this great story, and you're just like, this is so over the top. Back to the sermon. God hates the me monster. God, no, excuse me. That's not how the verse goes. This is James 4, 6. God opposes the me monster, but gives grace to the humble. That's my own translation there, by the way. Do you know why God loves humility so much? Because he is humble. And when he sees us being humble, he can't help but, but love us and, and love that. I, I don't understand how... How the God of the universe that created everything, the only one that doesn't have to be humble, is humble. It's, that's insane in, in its own right. But when he sees humility in us, he loves it. He wants to help us. He wants, he wants to give us mercy. It's so cool. It's like I'm doing this kitchen remodel at my house right now. And the other morning, I'm, I'm sitting at my counter just admiring my handiwork, uh, which is actually I'm, I'm staring at the, the few failures in the kitchen that I can't stop looking at. Uh, overall, it looks, it looks pretty good. Uh, but Henry comes out, my, my child, Henry, comes out, uh, and he's like, oh, Dad, this looks incredible. This is amazing. I can't believe that you hung that thing right there. I'm like, Henry, that's a, that's a hood. That's a range hood, right? This is, it takes the, the steam and the smoke away. Uh, I had put it up while he was sleeping the night before. What, what, what I'm getting at is his reaction is so over the top. It's so awesome. Do you know why he reacts that way? Because I do, man. I'm such a reactor. 
And I get it from that woman back there, my mother. She's over the top, right? Everything's either awesome and, oh, everything's incredible, or it's you're like, the world is ending. No offense, Mom. <laughs> just threw you under the bus. <laughs> but it's just, it's just our nature. I don't know if Henry learned it from me or if he inherited it from me in his DNA. Whatever, it doesn't matter. When I see it, it's awesome, and it makes me smile, and I love it. I'm like, oh, my gosh, you're so great. You're, you're just like me. This is, this is how God, this is how I think, <laughs> that God views that humility. Ah, I see that humility. That's just like me. I love that. Okay, we actually need to finish this point. Uh, failure produces humility. We need, to, we need to read a few more verses to help me prove this point. Uh, throw up that next block, if you would, Matt. Do you realize there's so many Matts here? It's Matt Porter, Matt Baldwin did the announcements, Matt's Bible is doing the... Never mind. Uh, pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. That's Proverbs 16, 18. And a uh, little note, destruction there is translated as broken, like a bone is broken. Next one. One's pride will bring him... Low, but he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. That's Proverbs 29, 23. Before destruction, a man's heart is haughty, but humility comes before honor. Proverbs 18, 12. And the last one is the reward for humility and the fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. Okay, just to paraphrase, right? Pride, we, we just talked about that a second ago. Pride is, is at the root of our rebellion with God. It's, it's the root of our failure. When we, when we find and when we own pride, when we see how, how nasty that really is, dude, that should break us. That will break us. That takes us low. When we're low, we are humble. When we're lowly in spirit, we are humble, and that humility leads us to riches, honor, and life. This is a little bit Depressing, and somebody's got to be thinking this is this is depressing. So I've got to be broken. I've got to be devastated uh, in order to to find honor and riches in life. Uh, and I, I want to address that. Um, somebody might be thinking, what about good self-esteem? What should we have? Good self-esteem? Should we walk around depressed all the time? First thing I want to say is good self-esteem is a joke. Okay, G good self-esteem only works. If you're successful, if you've got a ton of accomplishments that you can, that you can parade around and show everybody, that, that works. You can have good self-esteem. At least you can think of good self-esteem. What it doesn't work for is the failure. You don't have accomplishments. If all you can see is failure, good self-esteem does not help you. You're looking at your accomplishments to, to determine the value of your life, and it's, and, and you're not gonna, it's not going to work well for you. The second thing I want to say is it is depressing. This is a little bit depressing. Uh, being broken by the failure in our life, it's, I can't sugarcoat it. It's, it's not good. It's bad news, okay? But this should not determine the value of your life. What we're talking about being broken here, what we're talking about going low here, is your ego, not the value of your life. The value of, of everybody's life is not determined by your failures and it sure as heck is not determined by your successes. And, and let, let me just try to quickly prove that. We are made in God's image. We're made like God in some aspects. There's inherent value in just that. Okay? Psalm uh, 139 
talks about how God has numbered every one of our days before we were even knit together in our mother's womb. Like, he, he knows everything about us. He knows how many days we're going to be here. He knows our failures. He knows our successes. He knows where we will fail. He knows us. And he still sends his son to come and pay for our sins and our failure. In investing, the way I value a stock or the way a stock is valued or a mutual fund or a bond or even a home or a, or a car... It's not what you think it's worth, right? The way that a stock or, or a home is valued is what will someone pay for it? What will someone pull out of their wallet or borrow or, or whatever? What will they actually pay for? It's not what you think. We look for, for, to find our value. We look to Jesus' life. God paid with the most valuable asset ever. I mean, the most valuable life ever. The perfect son of God who came and lived this incredible life. Okay, his value is immeasurable. And because he spent that, because he paid that to rescue us, now our value is tied to Jesus' value. That's freaking good news, okay? If you're a failure, if, if all you can see is your failure, this should comfort you. It, your, your value is not based on your, on, your, on your miserable failures. And likewise... If you think you're a success, unfortunately, your value is not based on your successes. Paul says in Philippians 3.7, he, he gives this list of great achievements, uh, things that were real meaningful to him in the Jewish culture, and he counts them all as loss. It's, it's not a gain. It's not even neutral. He counts them as a negative, man, as a disadvantage, and the reason he does that is because if, if you have these accomplishments, if you're, if you're focusing on these accomplishments and you think that provides value for you, you think that makes your life more valuable, you're going to need God just a little bit less. And Paul says, actually he doesn't say this, this, this uh, I think it was Ray Ortland. Uh, this commentator says, it would be better for Paul to have been a broken, bankrupt, humble, needy, failure, who stands before Jesus, stands before God, and says, be merciful to me. I'm a failure. I've got nothing. I've got no success. I've got nothing, man. Help me. Please have mercy on me. That would be better than to stand before God and say, look at all the great things I've done. Look at all these sweet accomplishments that I've made. This is cool. For the, not for the successful person, unfortunately. Your successes can be a disadvantage if they, if they come between you and God and your failures, for the failure, for the sad, for the depressed, for the person who's, who's, who's struggling, man, this should comfort you. Your failures are now an advantage. What? Your failures are a help to you because they lead you to humility. They lead you to humility which will send you to honor which honor is in Jesus. My third point, failure prepares us for Jesus, right? Humility comes before honor. We know this, right? The bitter, uh, how's the saying go? You have to take the bitter with the sweet. Or for the Guns N' Roses fans, every rose has its thorn. That's getting pretty dated now, I think. 
You have to understand the bad news in order to understand the good news. We say that a lot, man, but it's true. And to the degree you understand the bad news will be the degree you understand how much Jesus loves you. St. Augustine said, uh, if you want to rise, you must descend. If you want to build a tower that pierces the clouds, you got to start by laying a foundation of humility. It's like a trampoline, right? The lower you go, the higher you will be propelled, okay? When we find, when we search and we find our failures in our life are far worse than we ever thought, we will find that the grace of Jesus, the grace of God, the mercy that he gave us is far better than we ever thought. Romans 5.20 uh, is, where we, is where we get this from, right? Uh, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. This is that idea. Listen, it's important for us to know that this pattern, uh, that this pattern exists. And we're not just told this in the Bible. I can't see that clock, man. My eyes are going crazy. 1058. We see this, not only are we, are we told this in the Bible, but we're also shown it in Jesus' life, right? He had humility before he had honor. He suffered before he saved. He had the cross before he had the crown. Okay, Ray Ortland does a, such a good job of comparing and contrasting Jesus to us. I got to read it or else I'm going to screw it up. We lift ourselves up. And the Son of God stepped down. Nothing is too good for us. Nothing was too low for the Son of God. We make ourselves big deals. Jesus made himself nothing. We cover up our failure and we keep a running tally of our obedience. The Son of God never failed, but he became our failure and was obedient to the point of death. Even death on the cross for you and for me. This is how God covers up our shame. This is, how, this is the better covering that God offers us, that, he, that, the, that the, the skins, the animal skins, whatever he covered Adam and Eve up with, this is what this was pointing to, was the blood of Jesus is what covers our sin and our failures. When we see that, when you know that, when you believe that, oh my gosh, man, gratitude should sweep over you. It should overwhelm you. So, being so thankful for what Jesus did for us. This is where we get the motivation to live differently. This is where we get the motivation to avoid failure for the right reasons. Not because we're scared out of our mind that we're going to fail. Not because our value is all wrapped up in that. Not because we're trying to never fail again. We will fail again. We know that. But we work like heck to try to honor God by, by listening to his instruction, by reading the Bible and seeing what he has for our life. This is, this is what that gratitude will do for us. This is what it has done for me and so many of us here at the church. This is important. Our failure before God it is the most important thing. But listen, this is super practical for our failure with others. Uh, any relationship you have, family, friends, marriages, uh, you can apply the same, the same idea to that too. Finding your failure, owning your failure 
with anybody that you know is beneficial. I have seen tension melt away from relationships in my own life from doing this. It sucks, I'll be honest, I hate doing it. But, but not blaming someone else for, for something, owning your failure, taking responsibility for it, oh man, people will show you mercy. It will save your marriage. This is, this is true of work. As an employee, as an employer, it can keep you from making bad decisions like buying MySpace. Listen, this, this idea is such a big deal. I'm not going to do it justice. You guys are going to have to uh, do more of this research on your own. I hope that you find that there's wisdom in failure. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for uh, your story. We thank you for the mercy that you've shown us. We thank you, God, so much. This is such a crazy understanding that our failure could actually be an advantage and that our successes might be a disadvantage. It just puts everything on its head. Uh, everything that I thought I wanted, um, I don't want the opposite, I guess. God, it's scary for me to think about how much uh, I want success, and I want achievements, and I want accomplishments. Uh, it, it's, man, I have a hard time defeating that giant. God, I, I try and I fail at that. I pray, and my prayer for me, and I pray for, for all of us, that we would want you more than success, that we would do anything we can to get to you, even if that means... Uh, being humbled. That's a scary prayer, but I know that you can't help but, but answer that prayer. God, keep us humble. Keep us needy. Keep us wanting you for the rest of our lives, God. I pray that those who are, who are feeling like their life is a waste, like they're, they're just miserable failures and they're depressed and sad about this, I pray that they would be comforted through this. And I pray that that those of us that, that look to our successes, I pray, I pray that we would be shaken up and we would see that those, uh, those are not helpful. Jesus, we pray these things in your name. Amen.